0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Soundcheck, a rock and roll and alternative music podcast here at Central Michigan Life. My name is Andrew Mullen, and as always, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host. Michael Livingston. And uh, Ben Ackley is taking the back seat on this episode today, our wonderful podcast editor, uh, because we have another Ben. We can't have more than one band on each episode, I feel. So, well, no, no. Uh, a, return, a return from just about two weeks ago, or however long it's been. Actually, it's been at least a month. It's just for us, it's like for our timeline, it's been like two weeks since we took a bit of a break, because COVID-19 has destroyed everything. Um, We have Ben Solis again, who was on our Faith No More episode. So uh, Ben, uh, would you like to reintroduce yourself?
1: Yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for having me back on. Ben Solis with Gongwer News Service in Lansing, former CM Life and uh, also CM Life podcaster. Happy to be back with you guys. I feel like I'm your guys' resident funk rock expert.
0: Apparently, yeah. Apparently, I agree. Yeah, even you no know, punk rock. What a brief period in time in music history that album that genre actually existed. It's, we, we have the resident expert for it. So, When we talk about the early releases of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, next we can we'll sure to have you back on. <laughs> um, but before we uh, get into today's uh, topic, uh, we have a Twitter, as I'm sure you you all know. Um, because we plug it in every episode. So hopefully you all know by now. Uh, you can follow us at S-Check Official. Um, we recently did a what you, a bracket system. That was a lot of fun. I think we'll be starting this, um, like like one of those 30-day song challenges soon too. So I got to get on that. So <laughs> yeah, that's your call.
2: Whenever you want to get that started.
0: Yeah. So um, we'll get that going. You guys can participate. And just kind of get it done. Du- yeah, more of a feel, I guess, than what we like to listen to when we're in certain moods. So uh, other than that, do you have anything else you want to add, Michael, before we start? Um,
2: other than uh, I'm really happy to have Ben Sleese back. The Faith No More episode was probably one of my favorite episodes we did this semester. And it uh, opened my m- eyes to so much Mike Patton goodness. Um, <laughs> and hopefully that conversation will be had at the, end of the, uh, at the end of this episode. But yeah, Andrew, go ahead and introduce this topic because it's an interesting one.
0: Yeah, so um, I think I kind of said at the end of last week, I always kind of wanted to do an episode where you kind of dive into deeper into a band that's kind of, at least is somewhat known for being a one-hit wonder, whether it's true or not. And while technically this band is not a one-hit wonder, in fact, actually, I think the song they're most known for wasn't even their highest charting hit. But nevertheless, they are still, to this day, by any casual listeners, by any casual music fans, to be kind of a one hit wonder, the song that everyone knows no snow snows for. And if you saw the episode of this title, of this episode, you should know we're talking about Living Color, uh, a band that I consider myself a pretty huge fan of. Um, I wasn't familiar with all parts of their discography because I was scared from a, a certain cover we'll be talking about later, but that they did once. But that's again for later. We're talking about Living Color. Ben, I. Uh, why don't you start us off? How did you get into this band and uh, what made you, I guess, want to explore a little more than cult of personality?
1: Um, to be honest with you, this is honestly one of my favorite bands of all time. I know I said that really? last time with Faith No More, but yeah, you definitely picked on a topic that is very close to me. So this is this is my dad's favorite rock band, by the way. Wow. It's one of my dad's favorite rock bands. So I grew up very at a very young age listening to Living Color. Probably the first couple albums that I had in my bedroom were Van Halen 1, um, This, and probably something else, which is actually funny because I think it might have been Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill, which I know, Andrew, we've talked about. Fantastic. So those were like oh, yeah. the three albums that Love I used that to record. listen to when I was a kid. And uh, so Living Color has always been a really prominent part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, really brief story. One time my parents went out for their anniversary, right? And we were very young. We lived in Cleveland at the time, and they got they were all fancy dressed up, suit, dress. We're planning to go to this dinner and then go see a movie or a show or whatever in downtown Cleveland and they're checking into their hotel. And right in front of them are just two guys. One of them had kind of longer dreadlocks and just one had kind of shorter hair. And there were some drumsticks sticking out of the backpack of this guy's, you know, this little tote. My dad started talking about them because my dad's a guitar player. And uh, lo and behold, it was Muzz Skillings and Will Calhoun of, of Living Color standing right in front of them. I uh, told them that they were on their anniversary uh, dinner date, and they got free tickets to a Living Color show uh, ah, that night. nice. Yeah, so my parents went and saw Living Color uh, on their anniversary just out of nowhere because my dad started up a conversation with Will Calhoun. And uh, he got a, a concert T-shirt, and it's the Vivid shirt. And I still have it to this day. I would be wearing it right now if Laundry Day was a horrific ordeal. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Living Color is great. Uh, bar none, one of the best like, late 80s classic rock bands. Very interesting that, you know, as we're probably going to talk about, they are kind of like considered a one-note, one-hit wonder band because Cult of Personality was such a large, large, large hit. And uh, I would disagree with that statement as well. I think that they're great. I think what they have to offer is really good. And, and Vernon Reed, man, Vernon Reed, one of the best guitarists of all time. So I'm more yeah. than happy and excited to be talking
0: about this with you guys today. Uh, Michael, might I go first here? Because mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 I do want to kind of go off that. Uh, but first of all, yes, Vernon Reed is su- supremely underrated and we'll be talking about that later. But, um, yeah, going off your dad, I know you, um, you said da- is one of your dad's favorite groups. Certainly not the case with my dad, but of course he's a big fan of of personality. And I think I've said this on the show. I think I said this back, Michael, when we did our Smash and Pumpkins episode, uh, that while I wasn't super musically inclined until so I was in eighth grade, but I still remember 20 or 30 or so actual rock songs. My dad would play a lot in the car. Um, You know, I remember you know, stay with me by the faces um, awkwardly down with the sickness by disturbed. I guess I might explain a bit about me now, but um, you know, I I'd remember certain songs and playing a lot in the car and one of them is cultural personality. I mean, I, I didn't really pay attention to it at the time because I mean I wasn't just super musically inclined then, but like, even as a kid, I, of course, I remember the the, the main riff, you know, the chorus, all that's kind of stuck with me. And by the, and by the time when I got to you know, eighth grade, ninth grade, you know, Freshman year of high school, when I was getting back into, um, you know, was starting getting into music. Um, that song found its way on my. Uh, I had an iPhone at the time, so found it finally went on the phone. I remember just walking into school, listening to that, and then kind of like the most obvious thing, obvious thing in the world, just clicked in my brain. It's like, holy fuck, this guitarist is amazing. Why, why have I never noticed this before? This, this, these solos are insane, and realizing how great of a song it was, finally understanding that it, it kind of led me to go down further in a rabbit hole, kind of seeing um, what else this band had to offer. And I think this band, like you said, that has a lot more to offer, um, I think, just beyond that song. I think we can all agree that the discography is not perfect, but they're definitely more than just cult of personality. Uh, but Michael, I, so you're, a lot of times we do, do artist deep dives. This, you're, um, we often have, I guess, our noobs, you know, or per, people who are getting into bands, I was like that when we looked into Max Marco last week. Right. Uh, you'll be like this when we look looking to in color. Now, I have a feeling I know the first time <laughs> you were, the way you were first exposed to cult of personality, um, perhaps a certain straight-edge superstar uh, did that for you. But Michael, kind of describe us how you first heard about cult of personality and what your overall impressions were Uh, Looking into Living Color this week.
2: I I think we need to have that WWE conversation and just get it right out of the way. (laughs) Because, I mean, yeah, the first time I heard this song was uh, when CM Punk walked out um, as I was watching like Monday Night Raw or something like that when I was in middle school. And, um, you know, that was a very short phase of my life, but it's so crazy how the WWE impressed a lot of musical opinions onto me Um, you know, I discovered bands like Motorhead or, um, you know, a lot of bands or a lot of superstars that would walk out, um, and have these really catchy themes because they need, um, to have a presence and a song that people remember them by and something they walk out to and everyone gets pumped up and cults of personality was, was that for CM Punk. And, um, (laughs) and a lot of people don't remember when Punk had long hair and he would walk out to a, Kill Switch engage, which is yeah. A, there's a reason why. Um, I mean, I even picked up on that. So, um, so for me, yeah, listening to Cult of Personality with uh with CM Punk and the WWE, I mean, uh, I look back on that phase of my life, and I think, you know, no harm in that. WWE is a fantastic way of storytelling, like Andrew will say, and um, you know, it's not something that I'm going to get back into as an adult. But like, I mean, there's no doubting that. Those those musical impressions stuck with yeah.
0: me. Uh, before you continue, I do want to say that yeah, I mean, you mentioned a presence, and when looking at that song, looking at the character of CM Punk, yes, I mean, really, that song is like just one of the most ultimate anti-authority songs ever written, and obviously that was great for Punk's character at the time when he was at the height of his popularity. And Living Color even performed that song live for his match on the way with the Undertaker at WrestleMania 29. I promise, Michael. That is it for for us talking about. <laughs> that was CM my point today. For
2: this episode, is let's not make it a WWE episode.
0: Oh, I could, but I won't. But um, yes, but Michael. Overall, now that you've dived more into this band beyond cultural personality, give me your overall impressions on that
2: Yeah, if we're looking at like a curve uh, in terms of quality, in my opinion, it's going to be really similar to uh, what Andrew thought of Mac DeMarco last week. The earlier albums are stellar classics. And definitely are so much more than what they're given credit for. Um, and, we, and we start to dip down a little bit after that, but there's still some redeemable qualities that we can pick up on. And then my interest is sort of peaked towards the end. Um, and, and there's some musical ideas there that I, I definitely like to capitalize on towards the end of this episode.
0: All right. Um, yeah, I, I've said all, all I want to say. Is there anything else, Ben, you want to? talk about before we get started no
1: just um, i'm excited to talk about this i agree with michael uh the two the beginning albums are um just just not only classics but i mean the musical sweep on both of those albums are are so good um and it's it's kind of a shame that the other albums never really sized up to those two albums but uh, of course that is something we're going to dive into so don't you guys get worried about that
0: all right. Excellent. And I, I, I think we can kind of get going here. Um, yeah. So, uh, living color, they formed in New York, correct then? That, I believe, I believe they,
1: so. I believe they're a New York band. I got my yeah. CB shirt on, so it's a good thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so, um, obviously we mentioned the same earlier. Vernon Reeve was well, it's the main founder of this band who's technically a co-founder, but I mean, he, he was looking around, around the local area, uh, getting from, you know, a bunch of musicians trying to gather up until they finally settled on, a. they, went, they cycled through a bunch of singers and other even bass players before they finally settled on a concrete lineup. And, you know, they started playing shows around the area and they're picking up traction. And eventually they would get a, catch the eye of one very famous musician we'll get to in a, sec, in a second here. But, you know, early on, I think they started to realize something, that this would be a bit of a, this, this would become kind of a, a tricky um, road for them, you know, trying to play rock music as an all black um, band. And this is a part I don't, not that I don't want to talk about it because it makes me uncomfortable, it doesn't, but I don't like talking about it because I feel like, yes, the fact that they're an all black rock band has kind of, overshadowed, kind of overshadowed the legacy in unfair ways. I don't think that should really be there. Defining legacy, you know, just cults of personality and that aspect of it. I think they have, offer a lot more. But it's certainly something that we have to talk about because they did face a lot of prejudices uh, go in the music world, um, you know, and, and their local scenes just trying to play the music they wanted to. Um, ben, uh, how, how do you, how do you think you can uh, elaborate on that for us?
1: No, I, I completely agree, and I think it's a shame that they get this moniker of being like this like uh, seminal all rock all black rock band uh, because I mean they certainly were they certainly are or one of the notable you know, um, figures in, in black rock music. And I think that's really important and I'm happy that, you know, that they stand out in that degree, but yeah, it completely diminishes, uh, what, what they offered as a band. Um, you know, I remember reading something, it's funny you mentioned Chili Peppers, um, when Freaky Styley came out, right. Um, George Clinton produced that album and when they finished that album and were trying to get airplay, they couldn't get airplay on anything. They couldn't get airplay on R and B and like, you know, um, like funk radio and they couldn't get airplay on rock radio and flea mentioned you know we were we were too white for the black kids and too black for the white kids and it, w- it was caused a really like hard um, road for them even on that album which is great uh, the very much can be said of, of living color and i'm glad that you brought up that that tension within the music industry because i think that the industry did not know how to market and and label living color I think that that same adage rang true that, you know, for, for white rock fans um, and I guess cult of personality smashed this, this idea, which I'm happy about, which I'll talk about later. But um, yeah, I think that there, there was a sense of like, okay, cool. They're like a black, black rock band, but that's as far as, as white audiences are really going to go with it. And I think for, for black audiences, um, I think it was just, it was too much rock music for its own good. I think, Time's Up rectifies that to some degree. I think there's more funk and more kind of R&B stuff on Time's Up. But, you know, in the early days, I'm sure that they had a heck of a time trying to market themselves and, and go out and, 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 you know, gain notoriety from, from both audiences. Um, it's funny that they blew up as fast as they did and then kind of, you know, withered away as quickly as yeah. they did too. Um, and I think that's a product of it. I think a product of it is that the novelty... Of having this this just this black rock band wore off Um, and you know living color is not a band that follows trends it they weren't a band that were trying to sound like anybody else at the time Um, you know that first album vivid which we'll dig into in just a second it was so fresh when it came out and time's up just really elaborated on that It's, it's kind of a shame that they, they withered away from that. And, you know, um, I think that they're very prescient and very like, you know, um, aware of that, that moniker that they had of just being like this, this black rock band. And I think Time's Up, some of the lyrics in Time's Up speaks to that, kind of pushes back against that notion.
0: Well, I, uh, but, but you mentioned something during, during, that, during that spiel. You mentioned you know, that people kind of viewed having this all black rock band as something that's like a novelty, which I think, which I mean, just the fact that that was a thing is pretty disgusting to me. I, I'm, I, I'm curious what you guys have to say about that as well.
2: I agree. I, I agree. definitely agree too. I think before we start the discussion into the album, I think we need to hear Cult's personality though.
0: As you all know, if any casual fans might know, Vivid, their first record, uh, kind of starts off with a very, very famous song. And um, Ben, if you, our producer Ben, if you would like to um, you can go. I think we all need to talk straight down to earth here in a language that everybody can easily understand. That none of that will ever get old to me in my entire not nothing. Um, I do want to start off with this, and Michael, you'll probably gonna disagree with me on this, and that's fine. Ben, you might, I'm not quite sure. I will argue forever that Cult of Personality is one of the greatest songs ever made. That's not hyperbole. I think it deserves that accolade easily. If I had to make an objective top hunt, top fifty songs of all time. I would throw cult of personality in there. Everything about the song works. Everything, everything that was written, everything that was performed in the song just works. Even the little political speech uh, clips that they throw, throw in the songs just fits perfectly. It doesn't interrupt anything. Uh, it, it's just a brilliant song. Um, th- I could go on forever, so I'm just going to let you guys uh, tackle this first before I just kind of um, bury both. So um whoever wants to start go ahead i don't disagree with you at all man
1: i i cult of personality is great it's it's okay so it's such an overplayed song every it's on the radio constantly still on most classic rock stations as you mentioned you know it was it was a wwe like hit for you know cm punk to come out to um you know it on rock band it's a rock band song you know a guitar hero song um you know this song gets its due recognition, and I don't think any one little bit of it is overrated. I think everyone can generally g- agree. Maybe Michael won't though. Um, that that this is just it's a it's a perfect rock song. The beginning riff, you recognize it immediately. You know exactly what it is the minute it starts. You know if you don't know from the from the little sample in the beginning of what this song is. The minute you hear the beginning of that riff, you, you know, you're listening to Cult of Personality. It's such a huge tune. Um, the way it was produced is super big too. I would say yeah. that that's like a common theme for most of their albums. It's really big, huge production, but like, you know, for the time it makes a statement from, from the beginning of the song. Uh, and I'm not even talking about the lyrics I'm not even talking about the political message of the song Just the, the song in itself Is a statement and a sign of the times Of what was going on in rock music And uh, it's huge, and it's awesome that this is Not only the biggest hit on their album But it's how Vivid starts And I can't think of a better way to start this album Than that song
0: Yeah, it's easily one of the greatest uh, Opening tracks to any album ever And I just want to jump in real quick You know, making a statement I think, lyrically, I think it does make its st- very strong statement name me any few opening lines are as iconic to me as look in my eyes what do you see the cult of personality i think just immediately it's just brilliant poignant lyrics uh it's one like i said one of the greatest anti-authority tracks ever although it's not entirely basically talk about you know like the reference you know both gandhi and stalin um you know, in the song and plenty of other famous leaders, good and bad ones, um, you know, kind of talking about the good and bad of the cult of personality. Um, I won't dive into much that because me and Elio back in our very first season, we, 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 um, uh, we did like a top 10 political songs ever. And this was on our list. And I think it's definitely why, I mean, even lyrically, it's just great. Um, but Michael, um, I, I know you were first, um, I know how you were first exposed to this song, but musically, it's not musically of the song itself. What do you think of, what do you think of this track?
2: Yeah. Automatically that guitar tone is something that I haven't been heard replicated by any other artists, especially if you're hearing it um, really closely. Um, It's, it's definitely distorted and, and trademarks, but um, how scratchy it can get on the solos and how, those solo sounds—they're kind of falling apart, but also really remain intact. And um, the—I usually when I hear a song like this, I, when I hear those political, um, you know, sound bites cut in, I think of um, like that anti-flag song, the Press Corps, oh, and that's God. like a perfect example of how you shouldn't do it. This <laughs> is a perfect example of how you should do it. <laughs> that would be my two cents on cult of personality. But if we're gonna if I can lead into the conversation for the rest of the album, um, maybe it's a, it's kind of a blessing and a curse that this was at the start because uh, a lot of people don't know how the rest of the album can follow up such a song as this. But I have to say, do not get blown off course to listen to the rest of vivid because the rest of the album stands with cult of personality. Um, and, and some can argue it doesn't, excel beyond that point but when I'm listening to a song like Funny Vibe um, which you'll hear soon <laughs> I mean some, t- some days I'd rather hear a song like this than Cult of Personality it really just matches the mood I was really afraid that dynamically I wouldn't hear the sound of this album getting any softer or any louder than Cult of Personality but I was blown away by that track so Funny Vibe I think definitely deserves a discussion as well
0: Yeah, I think that's just an excellent example, Michael. You, meant, you mentioned dynamics. You mentioned, um, is it going to get louder or softer? And I, I think, and I think that's a perfect example of what it does. And just in the same song, I mean, it goes from that really thrashy riff to, get, to doing that really in, just aggressive funk funk riff in there, too. It can just kind of jumps back and forth uh, between each genre in the same song, but it does it really well. I think those transitions are done really well. Um, and I think it's just a great example of how eclectic this album really is. You do get a lot of, you know, heavy metal, hard rock, more, more groovy stuff. Um, Jeffy gets, you know, something, something like Middleman, which I also love. Um, and then you, and you, can, you get more of that funk stuff, like Funny Five. And you even get, like, some kind of almost pseudo-Scott stuff, you know, something like Which Way is America? Um, which, which Way to America, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of a pull when I say that this is my favorite Living Color album. I don't care. I think this. I think I say that because this record is great. It's such a tremendous album from front to back. Um, I I think this just is a perfect example of what Living Color was, and shows how ambitious and how eclectic their influences were right at the start of their career.
1: Yeah, I would agree with, and also, you know, I'm glad that Michael highlighted this particular song um, and. You know, it's it's really interesting too because um, you listen to some of those those like riffy parts in the beginning of, of some of these songs and how progressive some of these are. I mean that the whole intro to to funny vibe is such a weird progressive metal just just tirade, man. I mean it sounds like it sounds like Rush in a weird way, and then it goes into this just like this crazy funk rock blast. I think that's one of the the prime examples of funk on this album. Um, and I think you know, had we been able to to let it play a little longer and not have to be uh, hit with any kind of copyright, you'll hear uh, both Chuck D and and Flavor Flav on the rest of this track, yeah. which is which is really cool. Um, so you get that hip hop element in there too. Uh, as far as political statements go, I feel like this is even a, such a larger political statement than mm-hmm. something like Cult of Personality that's speaking, you know, broadly yeah. about the. Uh, um, the the benevolent and benevolent uh aspects of power that's what i get out of cult personality is that not that that power is neither good nor bad it's about what you do with it that makes Mm -hmm. a difference whereas something like funny vibe is such a a very uh interesting slice of americana in the 1980s for for black society you know is Mm -hmm. that they're, they're still faced and very much today none of that has changed um but, yeah. but, you know, faced in the 1980s, nearly, what, 30 years after after the, the bulk of the civil rights movement, you know, still facing widespread discrimination, not only from, you know, businesses and the rest of society, but police as well. Uh, this is the era of, you know, just pre-Rodney King, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so I think it's, I think it's really cool that they were able to say something as in, in your face, as, as the lyrics of funny vibe and get away with it too, you yeah. know, and have a record label be like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to put this out. We're going to take a chance mm-hmm. and put this out and, and freak a lot of people out probably in the process. Yeah. Um, it's really commendable that they would even write, produce, and, and put this song on the album. It's a shame mm-hmm. that it's not higher up on, on the tracks, you know, it's kind of one of these deep tracks, middle of the album uh, situations, mm-hmm. but yeah, fantastic song.
0: Yeah, um, I, I do want to touch back based on the um, political stuff in just a second, because uh, like, there's definitely stuff to talk about there. But, uh, Michael, what I'm actually what I'm actually curious about um, uh, from you is what you thought of the cover on this album. Um, um, I, maybe not on the next two records so much, but definitely in the grander scheme, scope of their discography. Um, uh, Living Color has done a lot of covers. On the records and uh, and starting on this one, they did a cover of Memories Can't Wait by the Talking Heads Um, I know Michael you're a huge Talking Heads fan. Um, so I was really Curious what you thought about this cover because I personally love it But knowing you the bigger Talking Heads fan that be you might have a different opinion on it.
2: Yeah, and I I Love the influences from Talking Heads. You're gonna hear um, On our next record we're gonna talk about. Um, and, and that's gonna be a fun discussion for me. But the cover on, on this one, it's, I, I did enjoy it, but of course, as the Talking Heads fan, I, I can't say that they did it better than Talking Heads. Yeah. I, think, I feel like that would be blasphemy to me, but it, it did it justice. Um, I think that wasn't the worth talking about cover on this album. If, if, if I was a first time music listener, um, I would think it blended into the sound of living cover color very seamlessly, um, which is a good, that's what I want to hear when I hear a cover, um, like that. <laughs> I need to ask you, Andrew, what you thought of the back and black cover. Cause you know me, I don't think well, that's, that's on a
0: much, much, much later record. And we'll get to that later. Yeah. So, much
2: later, but, uh, yeah, that's my thoughts on that cover. Um, yeah. it's, it's something to behold, um, but yeah. of course, when it comes to Talking Heads, Talking Heads did it better.
0: <laughs> well, I, I guess as someone who's not as big of a Talking Heads fan, I, I actually really appreciate this heavier rendition. I'm not going to say they did it better, per se, but I, I can really enjoy the one just as much equally. But um, as Ben said, there are a lot of political statements on here. And of course, a lot about race. I mean, that's definitely a world they came from. And um, it's definitely some, a topic they've saying about quite a bit. Um, you heard on Buddy Vibe, you kind of got that. Sense in there, and they just people just assume things automatically just from them walking down the streets, you know. Um, you know, you definitely get something "Open Letter to a Landlord." I know a track I know Ben you really like, and I love too. It's just such a. It starts. It almost starts off like a power ballad at first, and it's just like, you know, it's almost yeah. It's like a letter to a landlord saying, "Hey, you." this can't tear these places down. Sure. There's a lot of like really bad strife that happens here, but they still mean something to a lot of people. And you know, we will talk, Oh, it's the slums. It's just dirty and horrible. You don't hear, you don't hear something like that. You don't hear a message like this often, which is what I really appreciated. Yeah. And um, definitely if there's going to be a song to me, if there's going to be a song that follows cult of personality in terms of quality, it's the album's closing track on the very other side of the record which way to america is easily if i had to pick a just a very close second favorite song um from then to Cult of personality it's going to be this track and uh ben if you could play a little bit of play a little bit of that for us i'd really appreciate it (laughs) It's just a killer track super aggressive without needing to be heavy all the time which is something i really appreciate and the lyrics again is kind of talk about like oh yeah i mean the message is also fairly clear on that one it's like hey every, everyone like especially during the 80s you know during this kind of break in and the bush eras um kill Lop he's like oh isn't life so like life so great right now during the 80s there's you know like well the cold war obviously was Thing. It wasn't. I don't think everyone was thinking that all the time, but genuinely like, oh, people thought of it as kind of like a prosperous time once Reaganomics came in. Obviously, that's not the case everywhere. That's not going to be the case of how that policy kind of came in and did harm to a lot of people. And obviously, people's look, they're, t- they're just pointing out the very real fact is, well, I can just look out my window and I can tell you, for me, America's not doing great. I want to know what America you're talking about. I think it's just a great message. And I think it's just a great way to cap off this record. Um, I've said pretty much all i want wanted to say about Vivid. I think it's just an absolutely tremendous, fantastic, classic album. If you've never listened to it in full, you were doing yourself a disservice. What What's to you guys? Are there anything else you want to add about Vivid?
1: The last thing I'll just say about it is that, you know, um, you, I, I I somewhat I, like, I really like Time's Up, and so I'm really happy that, that we're going to be able to talk about that next, not only because it's chronologically next, but, you know, it's probably my favorite record of theirs. Um, but, Liv- but Vivid is is really important to me personally because of all the, the political messaging on it. Um, I remember being very young and, and absorbing these political messages. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm mixed race. I'm Puerto Rican, Mexican, and, and white. And um, it's, it's really interesting um, knowing that my father faced some of these prejudices as well when he was young, when he was growing up. Um, face discrimination as a kid and as, as an adult. And so it was really important for me to, to have music uh, translate some of that stuff as well. It was kind of backing up what, what my father had, had taught me as well. Um, and aside from that, I, I wanted to bring up one last thing about Open Letter to a Landlord, which is a track on here. We're not going to play it because I don't think we have time. Um, but that in itself really speaks a lot of volumes to me to show... You know, how, how privileged maybe my existence was, how, how much I didn't experience a lot of the, the prejudices that my father faced. Um, so that song helps me put it in perspective and help me realize that, you know, my experience, even as a mixed race man, uh, is not the same as, as other people who may not have been as privileged as I am. Um, and that was really important. That helped me bring up, you know, myself in a, in a really cool way. I did meet the, the writer of that tune. So if you look at the, the song uh, in, the, in the track list, it's written by Living Color and a woman named Tracy Morris, right? Mm. Tracy Morris is a sound poet um, from New York and DC area. One time in, in, in high school, uh, we had like a writer's day and we had some poets come in. And for some odd reason, I don't know how we nailed this, but we got Tracy Morris to come in and speak to us. And I had really no idea who she was, even though I was a huge Living Color fan. And so we were sitting around, kind of talking, and you know, I noticed that she had like these, like, kind of really long dreadlocks. It's like, what kind of music are you into? And she's like, you, you might find this kind of weird, but I'm kind of into like metal and, and punk music. And I'm like, no way, get out of here. And she's like, yeah, I used to hang out with Bad Brains in DC. And I'm like, oh, that's crazy. Do you like Living Color? And she kind of just smirked at me. She's like, I wrote one of their songs. I'm like, what? Get out of here. No way. And she's like, yeah, go home. And she's like, I wrote the lyrics to open letter to a landlord. I'm like, you, you got to be kidding me. And I thought that was so cool. And as soon as I got home, I went to my album. I opened it up. And sure as sure shit, there it is, Tracy <laughs> Morris. So I have like these two yeah. really like cool experiences with Vivid um, that are really cool points in my life that's why i like this band so much because even though i had been listening to them it's like almost full circle like fate just found a way to introduce more cool you know uh like anecdotes about living color into my life so it's i love this album
0: what about you michael anything else you want to add about vivid
2: follow up ben's story that's that's
0: amazing amazing. i yeah i I didn't know it was written by someone else either um i i've looked at i was actually looking at who wrote each song and I noticed the only song on that entire album that everyone collaborated on was called The Personality, um, which is interesting. And I didn't know that the lyrics were by someone else. That's really cool. Um, if we're all good, I think we can go forward to Time's Up. And I want you guys to start this since I know you guys really like this album. Um, how do you think this comparison to Um,
2: As far as Time's Up goes, this was actually my favorite album in the entire discography. Um, I mean, we're continuing that fantastically written socially conscious lyrics. Um, just from the start of the album, the songwriting I think has matured. Um, uh, it's a little more weird. We get like jazz fusion now, which I, I think is, is really cool. Um, I think Queen Latifah appears on this album, which is like, all right. Lillian I Richard that.
0: as well. What was that? Little Richard
2: as well. Yeah. Little Richard. Um, um and like uh towards the end of the album there's a song called Oogly that has like some electronica influences we're just getting a more experimental record and to me that's always a good thing um if if we're looking at vivid as the classic this is the um the antithesis of that uh that phrase sophomore slump you know like everyone says they come out with a good debut and then the the album that follows is weaker but this in this instance, time's up is what threw this band together for me.
1: I would I would absolutely agree with that, man. I mean, time's up is such a, such a thrilling record to listen to, just because of the the experimentalism that's on that album. Um, you know, the the sweep of, of genres that they that they throw into Time's Up is really cool. I think it's like a really like, whereas Vivid was almost reflective but very hopeful and positive you know i feel like by 1990 a lot of you know um you know latino america black america um you know was losing its hope in in, in the way forward because things were just not getting better and if in, in many ways they were getting worse you know very post-civil rights era and i think this, this album in particular is is reflective of that i think there's a sense of doom gloom and like apocalyptic reality on this album that um goes even further than what what vivid did and i mean the opening song time's up is talking about rivers drying up and you know the, the sky falling everything is falling apart and that's not just necessarily for the world i mean that's that's specific specifically talking about the plight of minorities in america is that you know yeah this is this is the time for alarm and if you're not awake right now you need to be and how ruthless the beginning of this album is. I mean, this sounds yeah. like a bad times up. The title track first song sounds like a bad brain song, Um which I think is really cool. Cause I know that they were, as you mentioned, Andrew, they showed up at punk shows. They were all friends with these guys. So, you know, for, for them to be doing that kind of stuff on this album is really just uh, not only an about face, but like a, a big FU to their, their record industry execs, to maybe some of the fans that didn't really understand them um, and what they really wanted to do. Um, this for me is, is the height of Living Color.
0: Um, Well, before I start talking, um, there's a song here that you wanted us to play, Ben, uh, Pride. Do you have anything you want to say about that song first? Yeah, I mean, it follows a lot of
1: what I just said, um, so I won't repeat much of it. But, you know, if you want a a really prime example of, of, you know, living color telling not only black society, but white society that, you know, everything you know about how minorities came into this country and specifically black Americans came into this country is a lie. And it was told to you by your history books to make, you know, white America feel a little bit better about what it did during the slave trade. Um, and I think pride is a very awesome example of that. Uh, following times up, there's a little bit of a sound collage called uh, history lesson, um, which is just a bunch of samples, which is really cool. And then it goes into this, uh, which I think is very poignant, um, not just from a lyrical standpoint, from having that, that sound collage go into something like Pride.
0: That is an absolutely excellent song and a really great way to represent this album. Um, so l- like I said during Vivid, I consider Vivid my favorite record of theirs. And I know typically for a lot more hardcore fans of this band, they they will consider Time Up as their favorite. And I can see why. However, I don't think Time's Up doesn't doesn't do as much for me as it does for others. Well, again, I think it is a fantastic album. I think it, it, it can feel lengthy at times, especially since there are a lot of more mid-tempo tracks on here. Um, and a lot, a lot of it just feels like a drag. It just feel like it drags after a little while. Um, it can be a little challenging to get through. Not only that, because like Michael said, um, this was they definitely tried to expand their sound a little bit. They definitely tried to be a little more ambitious on this. Um, it starts off with like a, like a thrash, almost like a thrashy punk song at the start, and then it just kind of goes into a different, a lot of different ways on this album, which I respect a lot. I really do. I, I like that. I like that aspect of this record. How ambitious it is. However, I also think Vivid's also pretty ambitious as it was as well. Cause again, it was such a fresh album when it came out. So I don't know. Um, Time's up doesn't do as much for me as it does Vivid. Uh, however, again, it's still a fantastic record. Um, I don't know. What, what, what would you guys say to that? I think what you were going
2: for there is like, yeah, it is challenging at some points because there's some more experimentation. I was trying to say that like, if if we're looking at Vivid as this fresh new sound, this fresh classic, I'm looking at the band's songwriting and their skills as musicians to be really up there. If they're going to make an album like this to follow it up. Um, that's just a musical stance that I admire. And that enhances my, the enjoyment of this album for me, that they're able to be that brave and that bold. Um, and they're able to grow up a little bit and be more mature and, and say, here's, here's not only an album that we want people to remember for its, um, socially aware lyrics, it's stance on, uh, you know, minority relations and everything like that, but also a, um, an album that's going to be remembered for its musical experimentation. Mm -hmm. And that's really what does it for me. Um, and why this one is going to stick out for me even post this episode. Um, it's weird that we have Elvis is dead on here because that was, if I was to be nitpicky, that would have been my low point
0: on the album. Oh, that's my, that was one of my favorites though. I know,
2: I know it's crazy, but like, um, if I really wanted to be nitpicky, which I feel like I don't have to, um, I feel like, you know, I'm I'm talking all this maturity language. Like they kind of grew up on that album on this album. Um, but I, I don't really sense, um, anything in Elvis is dead other than a, a really cool title that uh you know i'm always there to poke fun at elvis
0: um, <laughs> i figured you'd appreciate home. the lyrics on that at least um
2: right you're right but uh one of my <laughs> <laughs> there's ben giving ben us, us.
0: <laughs> ben Ackley, our producer is flipping us off he's, right he's no, an I'm elvis a defender for whatever reason well,
2: not an elvis guy so i appreciate that but uh the uh I, i'm not seeing anything in this song but that's like right. that's such a nitpicky thing for me you know right.
0: well um, screw it. I, I, I actually, that's actually the one I wanted to play from this album, so I guess we'll skip ahead to that real quick, if you've already brought it up. Um, I know, Ben, you were talking about, and something else I really like from Strickland, I think their lyrics are still absolutely on point, like you guys said. I don't think they've missed a step coming over from Vivid. I think these lyrics are still absolutely poignant. Very well written and one of the reasons why I really like Elvis there's, there's a couple reasons why I really like Elvis is dead hey I think the lyrics are still just as good um, at first it just seems like oh it's just a bunch of like random like Elvis references and you got like Graceland and stuff like that but this is overall underlying theme and this is a topic that they've that you'll hear him sing about quite a bit throughout the career it's like yeah Elvis is dead but um he kind of represented like white musicians taking singing rock and roll from black musicians it's kind of like basically what the song's about and um how i need to pull up the lyrics i'm sorry i had it in front of me here it is uh there's this line at the end referring to graceland um it says i've got a reason to believe we all won't be received at graceland which um if i remember correctly is a um, it's a reference to another song um, Paul Simon, thank you Thank you genius uh, <laughs> It's a reference to a Paul Simon song Where he said we'll all be received at Graceland But obviously singing from a more you know, Minority perspective They might not feel that's the case Also I like this chat because there's an awesome Little Richard cameo Which you'll hear right now Because Little Richard is a fucking man So, yes
3: <laughs> Even from the grave Elvis, Elvis is dead Elvis is dead Elvis, Elvis is dead, is dead. Elvis Elvis is dead. Elvis Elvis Presley was a good performer on stage, he was electrifying. When he was ill, his fans got sick and moaned when he had died. Elvis 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 is dead. dead. Elvis 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 is dead. To all your pimps making money on his name, how do you speak? Don't you feel a shame? He went through the chest, he's out of this mess. Be my guest and let him rest. Elvis is dead. Elvis Elvis is dead. Elvis has left the building.
2: I
0: do love that sax solo. That, that, oh, yeah. You can't deny that sax, man. That was, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, But you can even tell just from that, like they were trying to get a little more, I think outside the box with writing stuff. Now they presented their, their topics. And I really appreciated that.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And it's, it's interesting to, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I actually agree with Michael here that I think that the most, um, uh, undeveloped, if you will, I wouldn't necessarily immature, but undeveloped uh, social commentary in on this album is Elvis is dead. Even though I completely agree with every little bit of what they're saying in the song, um, I think that there's there's more poignant statements made on this album, particularly sure. one one song that doesn't get a lot of recognition and I think falls into the line of what Andrew said of being kind of a, of a snoozer in a weird way is under a cover of darkness, uh, which is about safe sex you know and it's it's really actually kind of um uh, commendable for a band um of all of all men right um and all black men too uh coming out and saying like hey like you know like sex is a good thing but if you're going to do it you got to be safe we're living in the middle of the of the HIV epidemic like you, you should
0: you should make sure you're all right. Um, and even I think even if we talk about living color, we can't escape talking about pandemics here. Kind of.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> there it is. It was a, the 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 a different type of uh, epidemic. Um, but it, yeah, I think I think that's just really interesting and really daring for them to um, to to say the things that they um, that they said. I think that Elvis is dead is actually more laughable of a statement. I think it's it's kind of <laughs> almost almost more satirical in a weird way, but um, yeah, I mean, good god, that little Richard part and that sax part at the end just like almost redeems everything I don't like about that song. Um and if you guys uh ever do a, a Prince episode, <laughs> please uh, call a brother. Um but <laughs> later Prince like, you know, had had Eric Leeds playing sax on it and um Eric Leeds was almost like kind of like the the Maceo Parker uh for Pre- uh, for Prince as, you know, Maceo Parker was to to um james brown but um i think uh that sax line in particular sounds like a like a 90s npg Mm -hmm. print song and it's just it's just so awesome so ruthless and in your face but uh yeah
0: excellent um michael um before we move on for this there is um i kind of picked for this one it seems like i picked a song that each of us wanted to highlight and you said you wanted to highlight this song uh the song new jack theme from this record uh can you kind of tell us why
2: I just, I just enjoyed this one and how catchy it was because it's kind of it's leaving this image in my head that like just because we're moving to a more experimental take on living color style of music does not mean we're going to lose such catchy and memorable songs like Cult of Personality. And if I was to point out a single from this or a song from this album that like I'm going to go back to and listen to if I want just a good song, it would be New Jack theme. No, no reason beyond that other than it's catchy and I loved it.
0: yeah um i really don't have anything else to say about time's up uh do you guys want to say anything else ben does i can see that the, the last
1: thing i'll say is this uh that this is the last album that featured most skillings right their yes. player. Thank and you. i it's i'm really happy michael that you wanted to listen to new jack because two things are very apparent on that on that song one most skilling is a is a badass all the bass parts on new jack specifically are just so pronounced and so cool each each member of this band knows how to play so well at least in this early lineup as an ensemble but in these like little parts they're just able to do like little flourishes that just make their individual playing stand out and that was something so magical about this lineup and it's it's sad that Muzz is not on the rest of these albums um and i will say this even with the intro to that with all the cowbells you know, and the big drums. It's so interesting on how much living color sound more or less very much directly influenced rage against the machine before there was Tom Morello, there was Vernon Reed, you know, and the way that he was able to make these odd synthy kind of sounds just by the way he plays his guitar. Um, And I just think that's really apparent with that tune. And also if we're going to talk about them feeling alienated from the, from the record industry, I feel like Time's Up is, is just speaks to that because they're like, hey, man, we have all this success, we have all this fame, we have all this notoriety. This, our last album went double platinum, right? And we still can't get any respect in the industry. I don't know what is more the story of minorities in America than that. And I think Time's Up really, really encapsulates that.
0: Anything else from you, Michael? I think we can move on then, man. All right, uh, l- let's move on to, unlike Ben said, thanks for reminding me. Um, yes, they kind of switch bass players going forward into this. And funny enough, we were talking about the actual stable lineup of Living Color. That's the only lineup change that's ever happened, which is pretty rare in bands like that. So I think that's worth no- noting too. But um, yeah, we're moving forward. We're talking about their third uh, full-length uh, record. I know they had an EP called Biscuits that they released, which is basically just some leftover tracks, kind of whatever, if you want to explore that. do. Listener, uh, do it on your own time. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, now we're going into Stain, their third album. Uh, one that's kind of divisive among fans. Um, I know both of you were, I know, Michael, you were really down on this one. And uh, Ben, you, you seem kind of as well. I know no, you don't think this is as strong as the, the other, other two. Again, why don't you start us on start us on that with uh, your conversations. What, you, what, what were your thoughts on Stain? You can go first, Ben.
1: Uh, I like this album a lot. I think it's really interesting that, that they get so much heavier on this album. I think that like uh, as another kind of uh, you know, raise of the middle finger, kind of an affront to their own their own you know record Zach saying, like, listen, like at the end of the day, like we may be like a rock, black rock band, but we're a rock band and we're a heavy metal band and we're gonna we're gonna change with the times. We're gonna change with what's going on, you know, you're talking about like, more closer to mid 90s when all of this is coming out, and um, you know, at the height of like Metallica being in for the Black Album, like Dimebag
0: Daryl's presence, yeah, you could say Pantera as well,
1: yeah, like Pantera's presence in, in 90s metal music. Um, I think that had a big impact with, with the songwriting on this album. I think that they were able to follow the times really well on this album and really adapt well with, with what was going on in metal music. Um, lyrically, I, I think that some of their statements are not as good as some of the, the, the you know, there's previously. definitely
0: one song where I'm going to agree with you on that. And we'll touch on that later. Um, yeah,
1: it's, that's just my take. And I just, I just think that the statements that they make earlier are more poignant than the ones they do here. And there's one um, song on here that's, that, for me personally, it's really problematic. I think. Yes. Long run. Yeah, no,
0: exactly. I think really, really
1: before. fairly homophobic statements on, yeah. on, this, on well, this one song.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, we'll, 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 touch on that later, but yeah. First, uh, yeah. First, uh, Michael, um, yeah. I know you said you seem pretty down on this one. Um, what's your take on saying?
2: Yeah, this was, this was my low point, not, it wasn't my extreme low point. That's later in the discography, but the, um, I think we're entering a new era now where Living Colors is embracing, um, like we were talking about, some th- more thrash elements, some more metal elements, um, and just fully embracing this heavy sound. With that, there's some pros. We're getting more attitude, which I can always be down with, um, but we're losing some technicality, we're losing some maturity in songwriting, um, especially on the bass end. Um, This new bassist that they got is not as like aficionado or as, um, what's the word, not a virtuoso as their last one was. Um, And we're talking lyrics on this. Uh, I read in an article that these lyrics um, are based off like headlines that they would read. Um, So very contemporary, but also um, that works for some bands that worked in Talking Heads case when David Byrne would write songs based off of um, headlines, but in this case, they're not embracing them the way that they should be. Um, I think there there's an immaturity um, to a lot of these lyrics. Um, this, this album was deemed underrated though, by publications like Loudwire. Um, you can take that as a good thing or a
0: bad thing. God. Oh, Michael, you don't <laughs> get to fucking smear this record like that.
2: Yes. Um, But, yeah, that's really all I have to say. It it, it is kind of a turning point that we're reaching here where some fans can go towards this side. Some fans, this is where it ends. Um, It definitely doesn't end here for me, but it's not something I'm going to be paying attention to.
0: Um, Well, I got to say I got to take the opposite stance here, Michael. Uh, I'm going to make a fairly controversial statement um, here, at least for hardcore fans. I actually prefer this one over Time's Up um i actually find myself um enjoying this more consistently than time's up it's shorter albums more concise um i think the production's still good while they're not maybe as overtly ambitious as they were on um and on time's up the heavier element is still new for them and i think it still works for the sound really well um and i think they were able to still, to still do some uh some interesting things like on the song i have to see right next to me nothingness i really like that one um but yeah for me, well there's there's several things I think that makes this album stand out a lot for me, which is why I really enjoy it. a uh, I, the reason why I mentioned Pantera is because this album has grooves for days. I love the grooves that they put into these riffs and into and these um and just to the music in general. they're just super thick and meaty and just just really dips and dives. i love I love them so much. Um, and I think it really works. Um, just and you, you mentioned the anger, Ben, on this, and I I, I love that. I love the snark and this the upfront anger they have on this album. I mean, they're they are, they always had like some level of anger in in the, in their albums beforehand. It was just never as. Uh, again as upfront i don't think as it was on this one which i really appreciated um in fact uh there's one song i think that really encapsulates a lot of what i'm saying here and that's the, the first track actually go away i really like the lift the riff on here and i actually really like the lyrics you, you guys mentioned the lyrics and uh i i can see at least especially on certain extents where you might not live up to the expectations as the other ones i i still think overall though they're really strong i like a lot of the lyrics that come on here i think actually the one that i again because she's just so snarky and I, I can get really into that stuff um particularly on the song go away the pre-course that i really like is um uh i see starving africans on, i see the starving africans on tv i feel like it has nothing to do with me i set my 20 dollars to live aid i paid my guilty conscience to go away Ooh, you see there are just great lines on here Still, i think there's still a lot of great messages going on here and i think they're Still really hammering home a lot of like, the race-related issues here. And while exploring different topics, obviously, one, they did not handle well at all. But um, we'll, we'll talk about that after um, uh, Ben plays here uh, a little bit of go-away for us. Yeah, um, I, again, I think that one is um, just a great example of how just angry this album is. And I think how a good example the production, I think the production is pretty strong on this too. Vernon Marie's still strongest strong as ever. Yeah, the bass playing needs a little bit to desire, but again, I like how chunky it is. I think it's a, a good step forward production-wise to this band. Um, but again, that's just me. And I'm not going to pretend this album is perfect. No. And I think, yeah, I do want to address the song that you referenced to uh, uh, earlier. Uh, Ben song by, uh, yeah, that's, um, it is problematic. That song does not age very well. Uh, you know, by, by today's standards mm-hmm. at all. Um, you know, I, I know plenty of bi people in my life and I know the, a, lot of, a lot of the stuff they talk about here are some pretty gross stereotypes that they have faced before in their lives. Um, what, would say you, Ben, I mean,
1: yeah. And I think, you know, um, be, before I even talk about that, I, 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 I admire, them getting their insecurities and um I, I guess maybe reflecting on their own hypocrisies even just with the lyrics of of go away you know like um shows how m- much like you know uh, minorities in america despite you know being really close to their roots are so disconnected from you know their their um, their motherland and and the plight of people within those lands still it's really tough it's a dichotomy that uh, I think a lot of people struggle with, but you know in terms of of bi, I, I I agree I think that even to this day with the LGBT movement being as represented as it is as being as accessible as it is and um you know accepted I think that um bi people have bisexual people have have not quite found their place even in that movement and often are are um pushed out of the movement in terms of representation because they're not like a clear-cut um binary to one of one of these yeah. like the sex of the lgbt movement and um i don't think it's just interesting that even as they struggle to find their place now geez what was it like in 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 the 1990s yeah. when even you know very clear-cut i'm gay i'm a lesbian um you know the trans movement hadn't really even come to the forefront trans people mm-hmm. weren't necessarily even um that included in that movement at that time and so for 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 you know, bisexual people. It probably had to be so tough as it is now um, to not just be viewed as like, you know, um, a, a person with with a a verifiable sexual persuasion, <laughs> a a legitimate yeah. sexual persuasion. And I think it's I think it's unfortunate that a band that um, yeah speaks so much about equality would would be trapped by that. I do know that just you know from my experience with, with some of my family members that you know the Latino and the black community have, have had Mm -hmm. struggled greatly with um, accepting LGBT people of their own, of their own color, their own race. Um, And I think that's reflective here. Maybe I I want, I really would like to see what they have to say about this. uh, Now I actually haven't seen them even address it in any of the interviews um, that they've recently done. And I I think they should, Mm -hmm. I think there's an opportunity here for them to explain why they felt like that and hopefully apologize for it. But you Mm -hmm. know, I can't, I can't force people to
0: change their minds if they don't want to, but. Well, well, I, well, let's, let's, I, I do want to kind of go off that real quick and I'm not going to try to make excuses a lot. Most of what's on here are pretty disgusting. I know there's this one line in particular where they reference like how like, oh, by people are more likely to be, you know, to cheat on their significant others because, you know, oh, there's more people, I, I guess because the old stereotype is there's more people they can see, but I, it's dumb and it's stupid and it's horrible and it's gross. However, I mean, there, there, I don't, I don't think Vernon, who Vernon is the one who wrote these lyrics, I don't think he's a homophobe. I, I think there is some really bad stereotyping on here. And, and again, I don't say, I don't reference these lines to excuse anything, but there is even some lines where he goes on here, it's like, I want a closet enough big enough to live in. I want a closet big enough for the world to live in. And obviously, there is some references where he's like, I don't think he hates. He doesn't hate black people. I don't think he hates, you know, gay people. I don't think that at all. I just think a lot of this, at a lot of these lyrics, at best were misguided, were very misguidedly written, and or they just, yeah, maybe they didn't hate them, but they also still believed in some really gross stereotypes, and obviously that's not okay. Um, and again, it is like you said, it is kind of disappointing to hear this stuff from a band like this, talking so much about trying to bring equality in here. Um, But then you go back, you still go back to the bad brains. You referenced them earlier. Um, While they were, they faced a lot of discrimination in the punk scene, hardcore punk scene. I mean, Banned in D.C. was basically about that, how they had to be banned from Washington, D.C., where they played a lot because a lot of club owners claimed that their shows were too violent, even though their shows weren't as, were any more violent than any of the other shows at the time. They were singled out because they were black. And then you go read and they basically want like a genocide on like LGBTQ people. Like a lot of these people, like that's they've said, there's quotes similar to that before. I know you and Michael, you and I have looked those up before. And there's even some, a couple of really troublesome lines, you know, in the Adolescent's first record, uh, the Blue album. Michael, I know a record you and I both love to death, but you can't, you, you I don't think you, you would disagree that there's definitely a lot of lines in that album that do not age well, particularly like the song Creatures. Um, so while I don't think this is Perhaps the most egregious example of it, yes, it should spy should certainly not be for it's certainly not forgivable. Really. It's a song that I wish didn't exist. The song itself musically isn't even that good. So yeah, it, it, it is a disappointing thing. And it's definitely one that I skip over when I listen to this album. It's, Let's move on to a song but, that you like then.
2: <laughs> well, let's move on from this uh this topic because i don't think well, any-
0: it, it, michael i think i just think it's an important topic to talk about here i don't think we it should is, argue, it is,
2: but, but it, is,
0: it is rather dour though right it is rather dour <laughs> and like i said i besides this song, I, uh, I love this record as a whole. Again, I prefer this one over time stuff. So, um, and I actually do, if, if you want, let's, let's actually play a song here that um, I also like a lot of this. I think I'm the only one who's really high on this record. Um, I, my favorite single from here is Auslander. I think that's a really good one. I think that's German for, um, what? You don't like this one, Ben?
1: I, this, I, ah. I don't know. this. Like I said, this, this album is just complicated for me because you know, uh, some of the, the statements, like I mentioned, not, not strong enough. Mm-hmm. The, I know we just talked about buy, but that always puts a really bad taste in my mouth. And, um, you know, I just, I, I think the quality here is not, it's not what it was. I do give them credit though, for getting as heavy as they do on the summit, as pissed off as they are. I think, I think it's a, an about face that was necessary to kind of, you know, call, call the herd of, uh, you know, Wayfair, uh, living color fans. But no, I think this is a good song. I just, like I said, I'm, I'm not as,
0: I'm not as, uh, hopped up on this album as, as you are, Andrew. Yeah, which, uh, which I mean, fair enough. I, I, I get why some people might not be as into this one, especially if they're really into the, the crazier moments from the previous records. But I still really like this song. Um, I wanted, uh, if you can play a short clip for this, that'd be really great.
2: I like how
0: it speeds up there. Yeah, I think I think it's a great chorus, and I really like. I, I love the production on this. I just love. I also like how sometimes the songs sound almost off kilter in like a good way. I think it does also provide kind of like a darker sound to it. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just it's, just it's just that just might just be me though because I'm into that stuff. But um, and yeah, so now we're kind of entering uncharted waters. Uh, fans of this band uh, would have to wait another 10 years because they broke up during this time. Uh, they just when they sat down to write the fourth album, they just couldn't agree on a musical direction. So they were just like, all right, we'll, we'll just split up. Um, and so in the meantime, they did some solo projects, none of which I'm as familiar, maybe Ben at the end, you can kind of talk more about those, but I do kind of want to jump into their, um, I guess, return album in 2003, uh, Kaleidoscope. Um, and it's, it's in, for full, um, like I said at the start, uh, as much as I'm a big fan of this band, I wasn't familiar with this half of the discography really, before re- researching for this episode, because there is a certain song on there. it's a certain track, I should say, that scared the bejesus of me to a point where I didn't want to explore this half of it, because it was just was so bad. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that in a second. But um, we're talking about Kaleidoscope. What do you guys think of this record?
2: Yeah, if I can go first for a second. I'm hoping we can, um, we can speed up the, the conversations from here, because we're, we're starting to enter, like you said, in an uncharted territory of, of musical work here. Um, but here's my thing with, when it comes to Kaleidoscope, the band's going full new metal on this one and I'm going to back that up. I think that's I feel like that's an interesting choice and I feel like it's, it's kind of funny when you're looking at it and, and there's some redeemable stuff on this too. I mean, after 10 years, um, Glover still sounds great. Um, the electric drumming and rhythm samples really freshen things up. I was a fan of that. Um, wish there was actually more of that, um, quite honestly. Um, there's a certain song on here that we're going to play first called flying. That was some post nine 11, um, commentary. And I, th- you know, as opposed to some of the subjects we were talking about on stand, I think they, um, the horrifying imagery of that, uh, kind of pretty accurately, um, maturely is, is another question. Um, and I think, um, There's some experimental vocal things going on here that don't really work that I wasn't a fan of. Um, And of course there's a cover that I absolutely despise. But uh, all in all, I think this record's really funny. And I think it's a good, uh, it's a humorous way to come back, honestly, in a a dark way because we are continuing with that heavy sound. Um, But I think on this one, it's, it's trying to fit into, it's like when your dad, Tries to like put on a metal shirt or like a shirt of a band you're into and be like, hey, look at me. Am I cool now? Like, that's what kind of getting from kaleidoscope. <laughs> what about you, Ben?
1: I agree. I think I, I, I. <laughs> It's laughable. It's only laughable cause I just think new
0: metal sucks so much. I remember, I
1: remember being a teenager and like listening to Limp Bizkit albums and Korn albums and being like, Oh, this is so cool. And then like the minute I turned like 17, like what the heck am I doing? Like this is all trash. And, um, it, it, and I'm sorry, sorry if, you know, any members of Korn or Limp Bizkit somehow run across this and are totally offended, but, um, your music sucks. Uh, I, I think it's one of these other examples of, of, you know, living color trying to come back. Obviously, as you said, Andrew and Michael, um, you know, they haven't hadn't been around in Jesus a decade. And here they are trying to, to write music that sounds contemporary. I think that's a, I think that's just a really dumb response to, to a comeback is trying to write contemporary music when you should just be writing, music that you as a band and as a group think works sounds like yourself. Um, I think in, in, in the last episode, we talked about like idiosyncratic songwriting, right? The value of idiosyncratic songwriting, because no matter what you're doing, no matter how you change or you evolve, you're still going to sound like the band that you are, and you're still going to explore what you have to offer as a group and as a unit, right? Right. I don't think living color was able to do that at all um, in their comeback or in their other later material. I think that what they sounded like was a slice of the times. And I don't think they ever re- really recaptured that magic. And that's tough for me to say, cause I love every single member of this band. I think they're all deeply talented musicians and songwriters. And I think their impact um, is indelible, but you know, this, this new, new metal album is just, it's,
0: I heard it when I heard it the first time. I, I was like, I can't listen to this. I it was. Uh, before I jump in with my thoughts, uh, Michael mentioned Flying, a song that I probably my favorite song from this album, too. Uh, even though it's not amazing, I still like the lyrics as well. Uh, ben, can you play us a little bit of Flying for us? To get to the parking lot. I'm writing this
3: a little song.
0: Um, yeah, I'm gonna affect a lot of what these guys. said. I don't know if I straight up heard as much new metal as you guys did in this. I actually was reminded by another uh, very bad 2000 release, uh, 2003 release. Um, I don't think this record's completely horrible, but this if I had to pick my least favorite Living Color record, especially after listening to everything, it'd be this one. I was really just, just disappointed by this. I mean, it started off okay. The first song had a really nice like heavy riff to it, which I liked. But again, this album's an hour long, and it's just not, they just don't do a lot at that time. There was a, also a weird lack of solos on this record. I don't know what the hell. You know what? One of what's was being reminded of in 2003 that also had a notable problem having a lack of solos. Goddamn Saint anger for Christ's
2: sakes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If I'm being reminded of Sane Anger for any reason, that's not a good thing. You're doing yeah. something wrong. Um, but yeah, there is, he has a couple on here. I don't know. You have Vernon Goddamn Reed on your record and you don't have him play a lot of like, That doesn't, that didn't make any sense to me. Uh, yeah, a lot of us just felt like filler or just kind of whatever mid tempo stuff. And well, they had two covers on here. They have one of Tomorrow Never Knows, which was a interesting. It's interesting. It's not bad. I kind of like it. It's a little heavier, but it, 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 it's kind of whatever to me. The other one, obviously. <laughs> so they covered ACDC's Back in Black. Um, I remember hearing a of, I, Hey, you know what? I, I, at first, I'm not opposed to it. I again, I like ACDC. I wish were plenty of other songs. I wish they would cover. Then um, fucking. Back in black, I mean, they back in black, silver so plated. But at first, it doesn't sound too bad. You just be like a whatever thing, and instrumentally, it's okay. It's produced okay. Um, it's Corey Glover uh, vocals on here, and we haven't really talked much about it. But I think Corey Glover is a pretty strong vocalist. He's—I don't think he's like one of the greatest of all time, but I think he's really strong. I think he's really good. Um, I don't even know how to describe what the hell I'm hearing on Back in Black. It's basically really bad bar ACDC karaoke. Someone who's trying to just go like, it's a, someone who's like, shooting for the moon, where they can't even reach the atmosphere as far as range, as far as ability, which is weird again, because choreographer is really good. But I want Ben to play me a very short clip of this, just so people <laughs> understand how bad the vocals are. On <laughs> Yeah, I had I had to cut that before I started going to a laughing bit. <laughs>
2: That's all we need for the,
0: this album. <laughs> yeah, I, I was genuinely bracing when the song came out. I remember I was thinking, is this going to be as bad as I remember it being? Maybe it won't be that bad. Came on. I started laughing my ass off for the entire runtime. It was, woo hoo I don't know what he was thinking when he tried to sing like that. But, yeah. um. Easily one of the weaker covers I've ever heard. One of the worst vocal performances I've ever heard for like a major band. It's rough as all hell. But yeah, no, no on that cover and no for most. Of, again, I, I like some of the heavy moments on this record. I think it has a couple of decent tracks. But yeah, there's not really a lot to grab from this. Um, and you kind of get a continuation of the same going forward onto this, onto the next record. Another six years, we had to wait for a new album. You get to chair the doorway. Uh, personally, for me, I think this album's a a small, maybe like one or two leagues above Kaleidoscope. But we're not getting. It, while some of the issues were improved from the last record on this, it, it, it introduces a whole batch of new issues too. I, I like this. I like this one a little more than Kaleidoscope, but not by a great deal. Uh, what say you guys?
2: Um, <laughs> for me, if there's one thing that's worse than Kaleidoscope, it's fucking the chair in the doorway. This is the absolute worst album <laughs> I've heard in a very long time. Uh. I don't want that to downgrade the 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 status of Living Color as a band, but I, I it's so soulless. Um, I mean, the production just you know everything we loved out of that guitar tone um, is gone. Um, you know, I'm hearing like at some points I'm hearing like Foo Fighter stuff, and other points I'm hearing like Kings of Leon. Like, I don't want to hear that. Like, I mean, uh, some of these songs, like, Bless Those was pretty all right. It sounded like um, like it had some good blue stuff wrapped in there that kind of foreshadows what we're going to see on the next album. Um, but this record tortured me. It tortured me. Like, you know, I felt like the guy on the cover. I was just so bored just looking off into nothingness. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but this one is, was awful for me. But... uh i don't know what did you think ben
1: i'm there with you guys i I just you know I, I, I all i can say about any one of these albums really going forward is that the magic is completely gone In, in my opinion um it's it's just simply not there and i think you hit on it really well is that the one of the good things that makes this band really stand out is vernon reed's guitar playing and i it, it almost it almost feels like there's there's like a great absence of like Ver- Vernon Reed's like mojo on any of this,
0: yeah. and maybe some people disagree with me, but I'm I'm actually gonna take um, I'm I'm actually gonna uh, dis disagree with you on that, Ben. I I I can't see how this one's worse than Kaleidoscope in my opinion. Again, I think a lot, lot of the issues with Kaleidoscope were addressed. Um, uh, it's shorter, thankfully, um, by at least twenty minutes, which. Sitting how rough Kaleidoscope was, I I appreciated that. Um, Andrew, it's not a compliment to an album when it's shorter. (laughs) Hey, hey, compare compare it to Kaleidoscope it is, but you didn't let me finish. Um, While while you're right, mixing-wise, a lot of the guitars are just like, productions on these half these songs are dreadful. Like the first track, Burn Bridges, would would have been actually kind of good if they could, if I could hear the guitars. I don't know who mixed these guitars, but they should be shot, like for fuck's sake. Like half, like the solo, the solos, the solos are at a good volume. The, the the actual riffs in the in the other guitars are so washed down and muddied in the mix, I can barely hear them. I, I thought there was something wrong with my speakers when I first heard it.
2: I think we can I think we can go ahead and hear "Burned Bridges" because I agree that is an interesting single. And it piqued my interest when I first started it. I started thinking like, oh, we're going to get something really new and interesting on here. um, And then we'll, we'll get to the next album.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. See, I actually still like that song. It's just, again, it's just the guitars really just track it down. I think, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of a theme in this record. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll skip bored again. We had to wait another long gap for, for the next album. I think the band was having like, record label issues and stuff like that. Um, but eventually in 2017 we do get shade now before we get dab dive into the album as a whole I really wanted to ask you guys this because I do not feel qualified for answering this uh, The first single if I remember correctly was a cover They actually have three covers on this record and they're all pretty interesting choices uh, But the first single was one of those uh, a cover of the notorious B.I.G.'s who shot ya, yeah. Um, Which is which for a rock band to cover is quite interesting to say the least um, I, I've said many times this the show though before, uh, rap is not my genre. I, I'm not familiar with the original song. I really don't know if I can comment on this. Uh, Michael, I either seeing you absolutely like loving this or absolutely hating this. I'm not sure which one it is. Uh, ben, I think you've mentioned that you're a notorious Big fan. Uh, what say you guys? Was this was this absolute crap or was it at least somewhat enjoyable?
2: Nothing beats Biggie, dude. Like at the end of the day, nothing's going to be biggie. Well, yeah. um, this, one, this one was interesting though. And I will get into a conversation about this album's embrace of hip hop and rap. Um, the high points on this record were the covers and when they included a rapper hip hop personality on here, because mm-hmm. it opens up a question for me. Could this band have been body count? In a way, like um, exactly, they (laughs) could have been been another Body Count, and that would have been awesome. I fucking love Body Count, Um, and this just shows what they could have been and maybe what they could be. Um, But yeah, I would like Ben to play "Who Shot You" real quick, and then we'll hear uh, other Ben's take. But um, but yeah, that's my impression on this album going forward.
3: Who shot you? Separate the weak from the obsolete Hard to creep them Brooklyn streets It's all nigga, fuck all that bickering beef I can hear the sweat trickling down your cheek Your heart sound like side squad streets Thunder and breaking the concrete Finish it, stop when I foil a plot Neighbors call the cops when they heard my shot And I said, yeah
1: So so here's my deal with with this album, right? Uh, I know I've talked in an immeasurable amount of crap about the the last two more contemporary albums. I actually like this one a lot as compared to the other two. And in particular, it's because I told man, it's so cool that you brought up body count. So I, I completely agree. In fact, in a lot of ways, when I was thinking about all of these albums in total earlier, i had I have came to the conclusion that, man, I really wish that shade would have been more like body count. That shade, or not shade. Excuse me, stain would have been more like Body Count in its full embrace of like almost like very militant black politics of the time. Its full embrace about being angry and mixing hip hop and, and and heavy metal music. I think that Body Count um, ultimately had a bigger impact socially than anything Living Color put out simply because of what it was. And yeah I, 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 I have I feel more uh, comfortable saying that shade feels more like the older living color albums than their later material. Um, you get a lot more Vernon Reed, like like you know, classic Vernon Reed sounds, and especially yeah. especially on that cover too, as, as like you know the weird like siren bits that are supposed to be like samples are just him just holding like whole notes and making them sustained and just like kind of like vibratoing them in a way that they're just like hanging there right and um yeah i actually like this cover a lot i think it's really cool i think it, it obviously is not as good as the big song <laughs> like biggie is biggie is ultimate i would argue too and you guys are probably going to stop me from saying this but i would argue that biggie was better than tupac and just his impact and, and his lyrical ability i agree i agree i don't How- know. However, <laughs> without getting into it, um, I think it was cool of them to do this. And I remember when this actually came out, um, I was, I was pleasantly surprised that this was not only the single, um, but how, how well it was done. And I mean, this is 2009. So when did that, when did that newer body count record can't come out that had to have come out like what three or four years ago. So it's like kind of like predating like the return of body count too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, um, I like this one a lot.
0: Well, yeah, well, Corey was kind of rapping in the verses. It's not, it he was also singing. You can tell he was singing them too a bit. It, I, I guess the only by only complain about this, this, this cover, I, cause I do like it actually. Um, but I, I feel like he was just trying, I feel like he was, it, it felt a little clunky at times. Cause like, I feel like he was trying to rap, but also try to make a melody out of, out of these verses. And it's like, I don't, know, it doesn't, I don't know if it doesn't work fully for me, but I really like this as well as the other covers. Um, if, if we're going to go into this album as a whole, uh, you guys probably won't agree with me on this, but I really like this album a lot. Maybe that's just because I came off the other two records, but I think this is a great return to form. I really like this. I mean, the first song on here, when I listened to it, um, I, I it was like, holy crap, this is better than anything else off their last two records. I thoroughly enjoyed Shade. I think the production is great. You got... Vernon returning to form. Um, I think they're all the, all the um, everyone, everyone here was putting on great performances. Uh, if I do have some critiques of this, A, I didn't. I know, I know Michael, you said you liked a lot of like, more hip-hop influences. And, and I, I liked some of like, the weird samplings and mixings they did on here, but, but there are a lot of like weird vocal effects um that were done on Corey's voice and i just i just felt like it was it never never did it feel too overbearing for me but at the same time he was putting in some really good performances on this like especially in the choruses he'd just be belting them out and i felt like that just like he just didn't need that i felt like i was just too distracting from it and i should point out lyrically this is easily their weakest album to me in that sense lyrically this is their weakest record i don't think there was anything Anything to a point that was egregious or that was, you know, like to a point where it just showed up bad. But a lot of these just felt like meaningless lyrics that you could have just pasted together from like some sort of lyric generator site. Honestly, there were some highlights. I like the first track. I liked as well. Um, the song Pattern Time, I think. Oh, sh-. yes, it was. Just don't shake your heads at me. Uh, <laughs> Pattern <and> Time. <laughs> Pattern and Time, I like too as well, lyrically. Um, but I really like this album. Again, it had like a really night. Nice. I know their whole thing going into this was supposed to be like um you know a take on the blues um which i thought was interesting and i think they did that pretty well especially with their robert johnson cover preaching blues I then they gave a lot of time for vernon to uh do his magic um but let's say you guys what do you think of the record as a whole
2: yeah we're we're getting a weird dichotomy of like this weird adaption of blues music and hip-hop music which i think your comment about lyrically being the worst album i think is no, not good. Um, the last one, a chair in the doorway was definitely that case for me, or kaleidoscope. But like, um I think with the covers on this, you can't really say that, especially when you got who shot you in there. But
0: well, I I I really like the uh the reworking. I, I'm not saying that everything was bad here, definitely not, but I I just a lot of these lyrics just didn't mean fucking shit.
1: Listen, man, I, I completely understand. And like it's I'm 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 like half and half on both your guys' sides here. Um I really hope that they do more of this of this fusion of of rock and hip hop music. Um, I really hope that you know, in some small way, they do make an album that's as militant as as Body Count. I mean, the latest Body Count album is fantastic. It really, it's super super good, and um, that Slayer cover that they do on there is is amazing. Uh I think there's a lot of room for Living Colour to follow that body count template and return to being a band that is on unap- un- unapologetically political, unapologetically heavy, unapologetically uh straddling the lines between white and black music and um and making a statement, you know. No lives matter off of that new body count album said so much in in such short little time. Um And I I think Living Color has the ability to do that. And I really hope that they do, because like I said, one of my favorite bands, probably bar none, best guitar players of all time and Vernon Reed. And I think that they uh, have a lot to offer. So I will, I will defend shade to light till the day I die in that
2: regard. I I could not have said that better, Ben. You pretty much captured my feelings.
0: Um, Yeah. And again, I think Ben mentioned fun and that's what very much this record was for me, which is fun. I actually enjoyed this one. I actually didn't didn't feel even though it, it is a little lengthy, it's so almost fifty minutes. I didn't feel that like uh, I didn't really feel it. I, I just I just really like the sound of this album and I think this is just a great return to form them. And again, I had fun with this, which is more than I can say about the previous two. And again, and I I still think these guys definitely show they still have a lot of value to give out of them. But um, not not just with their, you know, Playing, you know, their performance talents, but also their, their writing talents. I think these guys definitely have shown that, they're, um, that they can provide a lot more. Um, and I would be interested in hearing a more like hip hop infused version, almost like a body count from them. Um, that could be interesting. Um, I, I'd certainly be open to that, even though, again, rap's not my genre, but I like body count. So um, we'll, we will play uh, one more song that I really like from here. It's called Pattern and Time. And uh, after that, we can give our closing thoughts.
3: If you want to play, you need skill in the Hey Everybody loves you, but they don't know your name. Play my blues sing your pain. But nobody wants to live my shit. i
0: I will say again that's just that is another good example there are good lyrics on this one while the topic for them you know white man steals the music rock music from from black americans yeah that's not uh, new topic for them. I think it was they were at least well-written on that. I really like the thrashy, punky sound of that. I think the album also has good. Uh, it, it's fairly eclectic, at least with what you get. Maybe not as much as Time's Up, or certainly not. But I don't know. I think the album gives a lot. I'm a big fan of it. I'm kicking myself for not checking this out when it came out. Um, but yeah, um, that's my thoughts on this record. Um, any other thoughts from you guys about sh- uh, Shade or um, Living Color as a whole?
1: I I mean, I, you know, I, I'm glad that you played that song too. Cause I think that's an example of, of a little bit what I said about them sounding more like living color, you know, on this album, I think that had this album come out, uh, as their third release, as opposed to stained, I are Stained stained. God. Um, oh. I, I, ugh, let's not talk about that band. Um, yeah, I feel, I feel like it would have maybe attracted more of their core fan base, uh, this sounds like a living color album to me. And I think, I think that's what is really cool about it. Um, overall, like, I mean, I've already said so much, man, like this is one of my favorite bands. I think that they, they check all the boxes for me. Um, they were really important to my political awakening. And um, I God, I have so much nostalgia for this and, you know, listening to these albums, especially the first two just reminds me of, of being a kid and having my dad just sit down there uh, in the basement with me, you know, listening to these records explaining what these lyrics meant and, and what they meant in the context of even for him, um, you know, as, as a, you know, minority living in America during a time that was really turbulent for minorities in America and continues to be. And um, I'm, I'm really happy that this is a, a band that's really a strong part of my life because I can go back and, You know, not even just in conversations like this with you guys, but you know, really wax philosophical about this band for 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 several days. And um, wow, just what what a what a great group of musicians and what a great period of time that they had come out into.
2: Yeah, I think Ben pretty much said it best right there. If we're if the theme of this episode should be underrated bands or one hit wonders that need more attention, Living Color is a perfect example. Those first two albums and. Um, you know, selecting a, f- a few different highlights in the following albums um, are, is going to do you some favors as a music fan, and I cannot recommend enough listening to some of
0: those um, I'll jump in there again I again I don't know a little dipper, but I think at least the first half of their discography is really strong. I highly encourage everyone uh, to check it out um, to check all those first three albums out. I think they just they, they really just show like the different ways these guys tackle the genre and really just their, their influences and just how well, very talented they are as musicians. Um,
2: as we uh, move into recommendations, my I have one request going forward and that's we elevator pitch these recommendations or else we're going to be at two hours and nobody wants that. All
0: right. Well, I don't know if I can give an elevator pitch to this one. I'll give it a go. Um, so I I still debate whether or not I usually like this band. I know. What a great pitch. Uh, so, but he's somewhere. So this guy's name, Heffer Fest I think that's how you pronounce his, his name. He's a solo artist. He's somewhere from Europe. And he's been making music since like the early 2000s. Like he has only like, he's like only at around 800 listeners on Spotify. Yet he's released like 13 studio albums. It's ridiculous. A lot of these songs show up on like Creative Commons websites and shit. Yeah, already I know. Wow. So, so interesting. And I can see where a lot of that comes from listening to him. However, I, I still think he actually offers a lot here. Um, when, when you kind of dive into his stuff, um, if you think he has great hooks, um, his, he's not a great singer. It's just why he has to rely on vocal effects in some ways, but they're not overbearing. They actually work because what this guy's really good at is creating soundscapes. I think he, you, you definitely, you definitely did. there's a lot of great layering going on here and you definitely just kind of get washed away sometimes just listening to his stuff. And I always really appreciated that from him. Uh, I've been listening to him on and off for many, many years now. Um, definitely, you definitely have to, if you really want to dive into this guy, you definitely have to pick and choose going forward from him. Um, but uh, I think you'd still find some stuff that you'd enjoy. He does kind of vary his sound every now and again. So that's nice as well. I'm gonna play probably my favorite song of his. Uh, It's called Colder Than the Edge of Space. Um, I might be the only guy on the old planet who supports this dude, but uh, I'm okay with that still. I think he has a lot to give. Um, definitely go check him out. his He spells his name. Uh, I should probably spell this first real quick. Spell his name H-E-I-F-E-R-V-E-S-C-E-N-T. Uh, quite, quite the German name there. Um, but yeah, that's my recommendation this week.
2: Sweet. That was cool. My recommendation I, is pretty fitting because... Uh, I mean, we have the boys on here that got me into uh, Mike Patton projects. And, uh, you know, after that Faith No More episode, I went back and listened to Tomahawk and a bunch of other stuff. But I heard wind of this album coming out, which is his latest release, um, by a project called Tetema. I don't know how you would properly pronounce that. But um, here we're getting some of the weirdest, weirdest song compositions I've ever heard. And this is... um, You're not going to see a lot of uh, recognizable names on this record. This is a violinist, pianist, and a couple other string composers um, with Mike Patton on vocals, of course. But you're going to get prepared piano on this, a bunch of weird synth stuff. It's a challenging listen, but definitely worth your time. I fell in love with these tracks that came up with it. And uh, this one I'm going to show you is called We'll Talk Inside a Dream. you go that's what mike patton's up to lately
1: mine mine is really short and sweet guys i'll i i'll do the elevator pitch if you like bad brains and living color and any little bit of youth crew hardcore then please if you haven't already feast your ears on turnstile probably one of the i will i i digress i know a lot of people don't like these guys but a lot of people do they're one of the best examples of newer hardcore music that i think really shines uh young dudes very energetic and very uh and, and they embrace the experimental as much as they are about playing ha- classic hardcore music so this is turnstiles uh gravity off of the album non-stop feeling which in itself is almost like a very homage to bad brains and living color the 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 typography on the front of the album is actually like the same typography as as vivid which is really freaking sweet so Without much more, here's Gravity.
2: Big uh, proponent for Turnstyle. One of the first bands I ever saw live, actually. Uh, such a good hardcore act.
0: Um, I think that's cool. the episode, yeah? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, ben, thank you so much again for coming on to us. You're a great guest. Love to have you on again for something else. Sure, yes. um, really Really, 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 really uh, love this band, and I'm, gl- I'm glad that you could uh, join us to talk about this. As far as what's happening next, uh, or will probably be the season finale of Soundcheck. Uh, I think we had some discussions about that um, and it looks like we're gonna do something related to the decade, talking about the most overrated and underrated artists of each decade. I think that's our plan right now is. Hopefully we can uh, end off this quarantine run of Soundcheck and on a really strong note. Uh, Without further ado, um, I think it's time to say, Good night Detroit. Detroit.